The following is an audio sermon from Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. For more free audio content, search Sacred City Church in your iTunes store. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Um, We are in Ephesians chapter 1. We're we're closing out this chapter. We're going to be here still for a couple more weeks, but we're in Paul's prayer to the Ephesian Ephesian churches, okay, to the missional communities that gathering uh, throughout Ephesus and throughout Asia Minor. Paul is preaching to them. If you do have, um, we are going through the version. so if you have version, you just click on the live event. And uh, you'll, it's called uh, Faith and Love today. Faith and Love is the title. And you can follow all the way through all of our liturgy, message notes, the whole kit and caboodle, all right? Um, so I told you last week that we were going to wade. We're going to wade into this text because it's a, it's a pretty, I don't know, I felt like Alice falling down the rabbit hole, all right? I got in this text, thought I was going to blast through it in one week. And then once I got in it, started studying it, <clears throat> it really swallowed me up. And today, I had a total change of plans. Man, it's cold in here today. Is it cold in here? It's freezing in here. I'm freezing. And th- so if I'm cold, then I know the ladies' are, teeth are chattering, all right? So, all right, turn it off. Um, so this week I had um, planned, I had done all my studying on Thursday to preach the second. I mean, Paul prays three separate things te- technically for the Ephesians, and I was going to get into what I think is the most exciting part of this text. But today, when I was going back and just reading through it, um, the Holy Spirit kind of changed my, my plan, and we're, we're doing something a little different. So I'm kind of go, almost going backwards to verse 15, and we're not going to get anywhere. We're not going to get past verse 15 today. Um, so I thought we are going to get deeper, but actually I got, I got pulled back a little bit, and uh, he's going to hit on verse 15. So let's, let's just go to verse 15, and let's just read it real quick. For this reason, so Paul goes through, we know he had that 202 word bomb, you know, word bomb right? And he goes through all the stuff that God had done. But for this reason, he says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. And he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he's saying, I'm praying for you for this reason. This is why I'm praying. Now, this is key. I'm praying for you for this reason. Because of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. All right? We're going to be talking about that tonight. So Paul, last week we talked about he's praying for the Ephesians. Now listen, remember we talked about what if you're a missional community leader and everything's going bad and everybody in your life is turning on you and you, you get cancer and all this stuff's terrible happening. What are you going to do? What's going to keep you moving forward? Are you just going to throw it all up and just give it all up and say, all right, I need to retire or I need to take a sabbatical or I just can't do this anymore. The pressure's too hard and, the, and there's just too much weight on my life right now. Is everything going to be circumstantial? And we talked about how Paul, when he prays, he never prays for circumstances. He prays to the Philippians, he prays to the Colossians, he prays um, here in Ephesians 1 and also in Ephesians 3. He never prays for their circumstances, even though they're persecuted, even though they're going through some terrible times. He always says this, I want you to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I want you to be unveiled. I want your eyes and your heart to be unveiled in the knowledge of him. What you need when things are going tough is to know him intimately. Not know about him, like if you grew up in church, you learned a lot of things about him. You learned a lot about, more about church people than you learned about him. But, you know, hopefully we can, we can work in reverse and we can change some of that stuff here. 
Paul's saying, I want you to know him. In the, I want you to have an unveiling of Jesus Christ and know him in that intimate way. <clears throat> so we, looked, we also looked last week at the order of salvation, um, how um, <clears throat> it's more than just conversion. It's more than just regeneration. That it's more than just becoming a nice little churchgoer. That there's a whole plan that God's been doing. And God, God did a lot more than just save you. All right? It was more than just walking down the aisle one Sunday morning, praying a sinner's prayer, and then going on about your business. There's way more to it than that. <clears throat> and this week we're going to go just a little bit deeper. Let's look at verse 15 there. For this reason, all right, we already said what reason? Faith and your love for all the saints. That's why he's praying. He's, listen, he's praying to believers. He's praying for the believers in the, uh, in the Ephesian church, which actually is a gathering of missional communities spread out through Asia Minor and through the province of Ephesus, okay? They're, I mean, they've got, it's very similar to the Quad Cities. It's about 400,000 people. They've got a lot of commerce going on. They've got a lot of young. They, they're marketing ideas. That, you know, we've got Palmer and the colleges going on here. Ephesus is very similar, all right? It's very similar context. And he says this, I'm praying to the believers there. I'm praying for you. This is how I know you're a believer, your faith and your love for the saints. All right, we're going to get into that a little bit. <clears throat> how, how does Paul know who is a believer and who's not? Two things. Number one, faith. All right? Faith is primary in defining Christianity. Faith is absolutely primary in defining Christianity. Belief precedes behavior. Now listen, this is opposite of the world. This is opposite of the world. The world says it doesn't matter what you believe. All that matters is how you behave. I don't want to hear what you believe. I want to know who you're voting for. I don't want to know who you believe. I want to know how you're going to respond to this issue. All that matters is you're a good, nice, ethical, moral person. That's all that matters. Let's not talk about belief. You believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. We both can be right somehow, even though if they're opposing views, I don't know how that happens, but postmoderns today, now we believe that it doesn't matter what you believe, it just matters how you act. All right? This is completely contrary to Christian thought and, and to being a Christian. Our faith, belief precedes behavior. Belief comes first. <clears throat> If you think, like most people do, that the way to find God is you come to church, you live like Christ, right? You live a good life. You think that's how you find God? And we do this all the time. Oh, you want to find God? Oh, come to church. We think, come to church, clean up your act, chase after God, whatever that means, act like Christ, and you'll become a Christian. If you, if you believe that, you're actually showing faith in yourself, not faith in Christ. Now, you would never say that. If you come blame, you know, right out, do you have faith, you know, you're going to say, I have faith in God. But when you say finding God or being in a relationship with God is about you coming and you act a certain way and you do a certain thing, in actuality, you're saying if you're good enough, you can get your way up. You can earn your way up. You can walk the ladder, climb the ladder up to have being in a right relationship with God. Functionally, many of us believe that. Functionally. We believe that our behavior, behavior comes from before belief sometimes. We can behave our way into a relationship with God. And that is absolutely not true. You cannot behave your way into a relationship with God. Our relationship with God rests solely, 100%, in the perfect life, in the brutal death, and the brilliant resurre resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of his performance, like the song said, everything rests on him, the, the solid rock on which we stand. All of our righteousness, when we stand before the judgment seat of God, which all of us will, every one of us will, and we will, we will be judged based upon our works. All right? That's what the scripture says. Now, we get just, we've been justified in Christ. We've been justified. So heaven is going to be our home, but there's going to be rewards given. There's going to be rewards given for those who are obedient on earth, those who follow God's plan on earth, those who walk in God's will on earth. There's going to be rewards for those, and there's, and there's going to be less rewards for those who, who don't. <clears throat> 
So number one, faith. Now listen, this is, we're, gonna, we're just building a little foundation here, right? So Paul says this, you know a believer by two things. Number one, faith. Faith is primary. Faith comes first. Number two, love for all the saints. Faith is primary, but fruit is necessary. Faith is primary, but fruit is necessary. Faith in Jesus Christ will lead, real faith in Jesus Christ will lead to a life of love. Tim Keller says this, and I I love it. You're saved by faith, not fruit, but no one is saved by fruitless faith. You're saved by faith, not fruit, but no one is saved by fruitless faith. <clears throat> Paul is showing us here, all right, one of those fruit, one of the fruit of our salvation is do you have love for, and look at that word, all the saints. Even the ones that are different from you, with a different culture, with a different personality, with a different socioeconomic background and status, with different hobbies, with different careers, with different looks, with different idols, with different sins, do you have a love for all the saints? Do you love them all? Paul's showing us here one way to know if you really believe the gospel. This is big. If you really believe the gospel, how do you relate to those in your missional community? How do you relate to those? Do you love all of them? Do you serve all of them? Do you pray for all of them or just the ones you like? Or just the ones like you? Or just the ones that's your age? Or just the ones that fill in the blank? Do you choose or do you love and care for all of them? That little all, man, that, I got stuck on that word. Paul said, this is brilliant here. Paul says, you know, you're, I know, I'm praying for you. I know you're a follower of Christ because this, I hear of your faith and I see your love towards all the saints. <clears throat> this is what the gospel does in our hearts when we really believed, when we really believe that we're saved by sheer grace. This is what the gospel does in our heart. When we believe that we're saved, not by coming into church and cleaning up our act, and now we're put together, and now we hang out with people who are put together. But when we really believe that we've been saved by sheer grace, we can love those not like us. This is what the church has to offer. I could very well, I'm going to try to stay calm, but I very well could go off tonight. All right? Because... This is what makes us different than the country club. This is what makes us different from the PTA. This is what makes us different from CrossFit. This is what makes us different from every other, your college campus, every other group or organization in the country. This is what makes us different. We are different. When people walk into our communities, they should say, why are there black, white, Mexican, Chinese? Why are there athletes? Why are there nerds? Why are there computer geeks? Why are there musicians? Why are there all these different cliques? Why are they all here? In one place. Why is this happening? The gospel. Because we have been reconciled through Jesus Christ, through no work of our own, through no merit of our own. We, Christianity, the gospel is the true melting pot, man. It's the truth. It goes inside every culture and transforms it. It doesn't change it. It just transforms it. It doesn't erase or flatten culture. But it's like fertilizer for a culture makes the culture grow more brilliantly. Listen, I want you to go to 1 John chapter 3. Towards the back, it's, it's in your, if you're doing the version thing, it's already there. 1 John chapter 3. This is probably a pretty familiar scripture. Verse 16. Listen, the foundation of our faith, the foundation of our faith is God dying for His enemies. And churches... They gather a bunch of people that like each other and they call that small group. That's not that's just an affinity group. That's not that's not a community. That's homogeneous, man. That's not heterogeneous with all different backgrounds and all. No. 
The foundation of our faith is, a, is God dying for his enemies. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. <clears throat> By this, we know love. That he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought, say ought, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. All right, is that just, maybe that's hypothetical. Is that just hypothetical? Like, that's an option. All right, if you want to be on the, listen, you could be on a B team, you could be a B team Christian, and those guys, you're just going to be selfish. You just get to come to church. You just get served the whole time. I mean, you drink the coffee but never make the coffee. You come in and like worship and then you leave. You don't have to join a missional community or like actually serve people. You just get to go to heaven. You get all the benefits. That's the B team. That's the B team. But then if you want to be an A Christian, you got to get involved, man. You want to be an A team, then you got to be in missional community. Then you actually got to like lay down your life for people and serve them. Listen. Nearly every church in America is preaching that, not in those obnoxious terms. But we'll do a big service, we'll draw everybody in, no strings attached, and then just the elite. We want the elite to get serious about their faith and go to Bible study and be in a small group and serve. And about 30% of the congregation is actually doing that, if, if that. Listen, there is no such thing as an A team and a B team in Christianity. We're all called to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters and our enemies. See, we're, we're good to lay down our life if someone says, you know what, thank you so much, Aaron, for laying down your life for me. That was so brilliant of you. I can't believe you actually served me like that. And guess what? That never happens. The people you lay your life down for usually says, thanks, and they just walk away. They just take it. But guess what? You're not laying your life down for them. You're laying your life down in a service to Christ because Christ laid his life down for us. Man, listen. If you get this, if you get right here, because Christ laid his life down for us, so now we lay down our lives for others. This changes a person. When you really see and believe that God should have justly, he should have justly condemned you to die and gone to hell. That would be the justice of God. We, we, we talked about this in missional community this week, right? If God was just just and just did the right thing, you all, me included, would be in hell. But God is gracious by no merit of our own. He didn't look at us and say, wow, that person's really, that's going to be in my A-team. That person's going to preach the gospel. I better save that person. No, by no merit of your own, by the sheer grace of God, God saved you. He snatched you out. He, 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 man, you were dead in your sin, and he made you alive with his word. <clears throat> that will make you, if you get that, if you get that's what God did for you, it has to. It has to make you a radically self-sacrificial person. It has to do that. If you were walking on the street, right, and you walk it out and you didn't see it and there's a bus coming and somebody comes and pushes you out of the way, boom, they take the bus, right? They eat it and they die. Nobody in the world is going to go like, oh, thanks, dude, and just walk, and just walk away. You're gonna, there's, something's going to go inside of you. You're going to feel a debt to them. You're going to feel you owe them love. Maybe you've got to take care of their family. Maybe you've got to, I don't even know what it could be, but there's gonna, you're going to feel something there, right? Every single one of us, when we grasp what Jesus Christ has done for us, when we grasp the cost that he paid to purchase our sin, it will make you a radically, radically self-sacrificial. Radically. You will freely love others and serve them, even difficult people. He loved you and saved you at the cost of his own son. Even unthankful people, even people who seem to be your enemy, you will give of your finances freely because you've experienced how much God has given to you. But when your life and when my life, when they're built around you, you're constantly keeping score. How did that person treat you? 
What am I going to get out of this? How's this going to benefit me? That is not the fruit of the Spirit. That is not a love for all the saints. I've seen this so many times in churches where there's this like perverted form of service where I'll serve my friends. I'll serve the people that I like, but then I'll snub the people I don't. And I'll walk, I won't even make eye contact with that person because they're different, but I'll serve. And it's this like self-gratifying service where I'm patting my friends on the back all the time and they're serving me and I'm serving them, but it's just my friends. And when it comes to somebody that I don't like or somebody not like me or a little different, I'll snub them and walk right around them. That is not what Christ died for. That is not the type of community that Christ through his spirit has made us to be. We're known by faith in Jesus Christ, and that faith in Jesus Christ transforms us to love all the saints. Jesus did not lay down his rights so that we could claim a right to be served. Jesus laid down his life and his rights to be served, to serve us. And John said that's how we ought to live. Now listen, this is where we've been... we don't, you don't think about this often, but this is where we have been radically affected by our culture. We have been radically affected. Say I. Have been radically affected by my culture. There we go. Okay. I'm glad you believe that. Listen, isn't it strange? Listen, isn't it strange that Paul does not say, for this reason, I'm praying for you and I know you're a believer, because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your passion for him. Or your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your worship towards him. Or your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for him. He doesn't say that. He says the proof that you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, the proof that you've got real faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you have a love for all the saints. Now, this is radical in our culture because everything is about you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus. Did you have a quiet time today? Because that's how we know you're good. If you had a quiet time, if you had a little prayer time, a little vertical time between you and Jesus, everything's good. Listen, that vertical relationship between you and God that determines if you're a Christian, you can't find that in the New Testament. The test that you are a believer in Jesus Christ is always horizontal. How do you treat those under you? How do you treat those around you? That's the test that you're a Christian. Everything is horizontal. Listen, we are not saved into an individual relationship with God. Do we have an individual relationship with God? Yes, but as part of a family. You're saved into a family. We learned that in the first chapter of Ephesians. You've been adopted into the family of God. You have horizontal responsibilities now. You don't get to just shut your phone off and say, I'm not serving this weekend, or I'm not going to answer that phone call this weekend, or this is going to be about me this weekend, or I'm not going to think about missional community this weekend. I'm just going to go do my own thing. We don't get to do that. We're a part of a family. We don't get to say, I'm not a son this weekend. What if I walked up to my son and said, Javin, I'm not a dad this weekend. The, the neighbor might help. Just call, or call Brooker. Brooker's a dad. He knows what to do. I'm just not, I'm, I'm taking dads off this weekend. You don't get to. I can take off. I can take time from being a pastor. All right? It's my job. I can take off. I can't take off from being a father. I can't take off from being a husband. We can't take off from being a brother and a sister to one another. This is not a private religion. Paul has made it abundantly clear that one of the assurances that we have our salvation is our love for all the saints. If you say, (laughs) well, all right, but I just don't think that person's a saint. Like, you're going to, I'm not going to love that person. They get on my last nerve. They can't be a saint. Listen, that shows you don't understand the gospel. That shows you don't understand the gospel. Faith is primary. Faith comes first. It takes time for our new beliefs to work themselves out into our lives. It takes time for our new beliefs 
to work themselves out in our life. Now, let's, let, let, let me show you how our, our beliefs work. Let's say a, um, a young a lady, maybe she's, you know, she has a terrible father growing up, so she can't trust men, okay? So she goes her whole, I mean, she grows up, she's 25 years old, she grows up the first 25 years of her life, can't trust men, okay? She doesn't trust them, she gets taken advantage of by them, she still does it, she craves the father figure, whatever, so she still goes after him, but she can't trust him, she can't trust him, she can't trust him. So, she develops this belief, you can't trust men, okay? Period. Just put it across the board, can't trust men. So every man she comes in contact with, doesn't matter if it's a pastor or an elder or somebody that really cares and really loves for, she's going to look at them with, you can't trust men, all right? One day, she says, you know what, I'm going to go to counseling. She goes into a counseling, let's just say, let's just say it's a gospel-centered counselor. They get her in there, and they tell her, you know, the truth the truth about the gospel. They say, you know what? You can trust men. You should be guarded with some men, but there are men that you can, that you can trust. They work through the gospel with her, blah, 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 blah. Let's just say she comes out of that office saying, wow, I never knew that. <laughs> Not all men are jerks. Not all men take advantage. Not all men are out to, for what they can get. There are some men that follow Christ and they're about giving and serving and laying their life down for the better of another person. That's the type of man. Wow, I didn't know those men actually existed. Now listen, she walks out of there. She walks out of there with a new belief. What happens the first time she meets a dude? Now listen, we all know she's probably going to be like, uh, I think I might be able to trust this person. I don't really know. But listen, that new belief takes time to really get solidified in her life, right? That new belief takes time to really work itself out. She's going to have to, she's going to tiptoe in the water for a little bit. She's going to can I trust this guy? Can I trust this guy? Maybe I can't. She's going to fall back to her old belief and think, no, 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 I can't trust this guy. And then he's going to have to love and lay his life down for her and call her back and call her back and serve her. And she's going to work her way out of that cave again. And then he's going to do something. And she's going to run back to the cave and she's going to believe that I can't trust the man. And it's going to go on like this because listen, new beliefs, Functionally, our new beliefs, when we come to a new belief, it takes time to work itself out into our life. The same is true when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. When we come to see it's not about what we do, it's about what Christ has done. You're going to go back to the old belief. You're going to go back and you're going to try to earn it. You're going to try to prove yourself. I love that line in that song, Joel. Um, you're going to have to help me out. But it's the nails that held them there, or the, what was the, what's the line? I try, yeah. Uh, so, something about trying, my effort and my try. Every time I tried before it and failed, I can see it now that those were the nails that held him there. Your effort. You're trying. You're trying so hard to make him happy. You're trying so hard to earn your way up there and, and be good enough. That was the, that's why he died. That's what held him there. Your self-effort. Yourself, you're seeking self-salvation. These new beliefs take time. So you're going to believe in the, in the grace and the faith in Jesus Christ, and you're going to fall back, and you're going to try to prove yourself. New beliefs take time to work themselves out in our real life. So, so, so listen, uh, if you find yourself saying, she can't be a Christian, look what she did. If you find yourself thinking or saying, she can't be a Christian, look what she did. You don't believe the gospel or you don't understand the gospel. Christians have and can do horrible things. Horrible things. They can. They do. Can, faith, can, can a Christian's faith be inconsistent? Of course. Yes. New beliefs take time to work themselves out. Find a perfect guy in Scripture. Find somebody in Scripture who didn't screw it up big and let the wheels come off his, his life. Find somebody. Start talking about David, the man after God's own heart, right? I mean, what's a little murder and adultery, right? Not much, not a big deal, right? What's no, we're not even going to get it with Noah, all right? Noah, you know, drunk and buck naked. I mean, you get into all kind of stuff, right? You can't find a hero in Scripture except for Jesus Christ. The whole book is about him. Not a bunch of fairy tales with good moral fables that we can all live by and appropriate into our life so we can conquer the giants of our life. It's all about 
him. So, if you find yourself thinking, Christians don't do things like that. Christians don't do things like that. You don't understand the gospel. You don't understand that belief comes before behavior. Faith is primary, but then fruit is necessary. So St. Paul and John, listen, they're not saying if you don't lay your life down for the saints like Christ did for the church, you aren't saved. They're not saying that. They're not saying every Christian will die a martyr's death or you better self-sacrifice. They're not saying that. What they're saying is this. I love this. is pretty big. If you're selfish, if your life is all about you, if you don't serve and you don't love and you're not known for your love for all the saints, you shouldn't be sure. You should not be sure of your salvation. That, that's weighty. <laughs> that's pretty heavy. He's not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you're not saved. But he's saying you shouldn't be sure. You shouldn't walk with a swagger like you and Jesus have got something figured out if you're not laying your life down for the brothers and sisters in your missional community. You should not have any confidence or assurance in your relationship with Christ if you're not laying your life down for the brothers and sisters around you. Now, now listen, this is Paul. He's, you know, he, he's given us something very, and, and, and Peter, or and John, given us something very specific to gauge if the gospel has really changed our hearts. Now listen, this is the coolest thing. Some people might get really scared about this. Justin, you're making me doubt my salvation. Okay, so what? I hope I am. Because listen, this is why. The scariest thing for me is somebody walks in a church and they think they've got it. And they walk out and they got it like a quarter. They got a little bit of it. They got a taste of it. And they walk around and think, oh, I've got it. No, you don't have it. There's so much more. You can know Christ so much more intimately. There's something, there's a freedom found in laying down your life for your brothers. There's a love, there's a depth, there's something special found in serving Christ in that way and pushing the mission forward in that way. And if you walk out thinking you've got a little something between you and Jesus and you pray over your tests and you pray over your dinner and you pray over that future man or that future woman, but that's it? That is not the faith, man. That's not what the faith is all about. You think you got something, but you don't. You got a little taste, but there's so much more. We've been marketing, the church has been marketing this shallow version of Christianity for too long, and young people walk in and they taste, and it tastes so much similar to the world, and they just walk right out. Oh, good music. Yeah, big deal. Oh, motivational speaker. Oh, great. Cool lights and, and graphics. Oh, cool, great. And they walk out because they think they can get the same thing watching Oprah or the same thing watching Dr. Phil or the same thing watching their, you know, the newest indie film. There's no depth. You can't hit the bottom of this thing. It's so deep. <clears throat> I, I got you. Um, if you don't have version, then I got you something here. I got a hard copy of this. So if you don't have version, raise your hand. We're going to check something out here. Before I, Actually, before I, I know you're going to look at it as soon as I put it, give it out to you. So let me say this. Listen, what am I talking about? Is this something new? Justin, what is this you speak of? I've never heard of this laying your life down for people. This is mandatory? Listen, this, this one I'm going to give you, it's called the one another's. It's called the one another's. All through the New Testament, they say, do this for one another. It's the believers. It's our missional communities. It's our church. Do this for one another. This is how you behave with one another. This is what you do with one another. Do we get that? All right, so raise your hand. I'm going to give you a list of those things. If you don't have the U version, Aaron, actually, would you hook me up there, brother? <clears throat> I'm thankful for a gauge like this to see how has the gospel, in fact, impacted my soul. If your life is boring, then I can tell you, you've got more to learn. And you could go deeper into the gospel. Because God wants to get us to that place. Now, look, I want you to, oh, actually, I need one of those too. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can access it. I'm not sure how long, but you can access it at least till tomorrow or something. No, you can't? 
Okay. Okay, you can look for past ones then. All right, look at this. We're going to go through this really quick, guys. The one another's in the New Testament. The Gospels. Be at peace with one another. That doesn't sound like most churches I know. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Paul's letters. Love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Then, just as Christ has accepted you. See how the gospel affects that? Instruct one another. Equal, oh, have equal concern for each other. Serve one another in love. Galatians and Ephesians. Carry each other's burdens. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourself. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. It's like rebuke. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Love one another. Sound easy? Right? Sound, sound a little like doable? Is this doable? Can we, can we make this happen? Just suck it up, right? Just suck it up. Pull, put your big boy pants on. Tie your boots real tight, right? You can do this. Can you do this? Let's just suck it up and go do this. Can we do this? This should scare the crap out of you. This is the life you've signed up for. This is what Christ died for. This is what you've been called into. This is the family of missionary servants. This is your life. There is no plan B. You don't get to opt out of this and get the easy one. There's no like Hawaii version, right? I want the Hawaii version. I want to sit on the beach and I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to share my faith with the guy who fills my drink up, okay? You don't get that. This is the life of faith and love. Listen to this. I think the reason, or one of the reasons, the majority of Christians don't read their Bibles, they don't pray, they don't really desire to understand the gospel, is because they think being a Christian is just going to church or praying a prayer. The bar is set so low, they don't even need the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ said, I'm leaving, guys. I'm peacing out. Deuces, I'm out of here. And it's better that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you and you need him. You need him. Most of the American church, we don't need him. We can do our services just fine without him. We can play good music. People can preach great inspirational messages without the Holy Spirit. We can fill up classrooms and do the Chuck E. Cheese-a-thon kids ministry. We don't need the Holy Spirit. But when you look at this one another's list, when you get the basics of what it means to be a part of the family of God, I hope every single one of you get a lump in your throat and you realize you suck at that. Joel can play the guitar all day long and sing. But I guarantee you, he sucks at that. 
I've been in a relationship with them long enough, I know. And guess what? I might be able to preach a sermon or two, but guess what? I suck at that. Watch how you say amen after that, all right? I suck at that. Why? Because that's the tough stuff. That's the real stuff. That's where the rubber meets the road. How are you loving one another? You can preach a sermon. Big deal. You can play guitars and swing kids around. Big deal. How do you love one another? This is why in our prospectus, I'm going to write on something over. This is why in our prospectus, I wrote this. Oh, not with invisible ink. Okay. Three, two, one. Here we go. All right. I wrote this. Man, you can hardly see this. There we go. All right. I wrote this. All right. This is, just, this is, our, this is the gospel right here. This is your salvation. This is your conversion. This is when you were regenerated and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And this is mission. And this is community. And I say, the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission, and that forces you deeper into the gospel. The only way. You can't make disciples by coming into a church and just taking some classes and you walk out and you've got some information up here because it hasn't dropped to your heart. It's not a functional belief. It takes time to work out new beliefs in real life. Now listen, in community, on mission, we're getting pressed deeper into the gospel, right? Why? Because community reveals that I'm selfish. I don't want to bring dinner this week. I brought dinner two weeks ago. I ain't my turn to bring dinner. Right? Mission. I don't like my neighbor. They get on my last nerve. They don't mow their grass. They leave their garbage on my side of the fence. I'm tired of my neighbor. I don't want to be on mission. It reveals the idols of my heart. It reveals that I'm not one anothering very well. It reveals that I'm not believing the gospel. I think I've earned something. I think something's owed to me. Now listen. Listen, guys. This is big. Not only is the only way to make disciples in community and on mission... The only way to stay in community and stay on mission is through the power of the gospel. Listen, if you don't get the gospel, you'll go to community once a month, twice a month. You know, when it's convenient, you'll pop in. You know, it's a real blessing when you're there, right? You'll go to community once in a while. Mission, it's not really a big deal. If you, if you miss your missional community's outreach, it's not really a big deal. Just like it's, 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 it's for the a, a players. You're not an A player. You're just a B player. It's a blessing that you're there, right? Maybe if I can, it takes the gospel. You have to believe the gospel. You've been created anew. You are a new person. You are a servant. You are a missionary. You are a disciple. You are a son or a daughter of God. You are a part of a family. That's who you've been made to be. In community, on mission, but the only way to stay in community and on mission is through the power of the gospel. Or you'll burn out. You're a doer. You're trying to earn your righteousness. You're trying to prove to God how good you are or prove to your missional community that you're the A-team or whatever you're trying to do. You'll burn out. You have to believe the gospel. You have to take your Sabbath. You have to rest. You get, those, get in that rhythm of life. That's what it takes. Guys, this is what it's about. It's about living a life that demands a gospel explanation. Living a life that demands a gospel explanation. Why do you give so much of your time to loving people? Because I'm so infatuated with the love of God shown to me in Christ. Why do you give so much of your money to the church? Because I am so overwhelmed at the riches of God in Christ that have been given to me. Now listen. This is also a key component to the mission of God. I want you to go to John, not 1 John, regular John, the Apostle John. John 13, pretty common scripture. Verse 34, when you're there, say there. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, 
you are also to love one another. But look at this, verse 35. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This love is missional. When people step into our communities, they should be overwhelmed by our love towards one another. Towards them too, towards the outsider who steps in. We shouldn't have our own little cliques over here in one room or in the other room and, and, and wait for, and the new person walks in and we give them that weird look, right? I, I walked into a barber shop this week. It was the first, I wanted to go get a real shave and like the whole thing and done up, right? I walked in, it was like an old joint, right? Set, it's still in everything in the 70s. I walked in, there's one barber over there doing something. He looked up at me. Yeah, can I help you? And I was like, uh, I was thinking about maybe getting a haircut. He walks over his book. It was Wednesday. I got one at Saturday at 2. I was like, what the heck? What kind of barbershop can you not just walk into, man? I got to wait four days? What is this guy? <laughs> Obama get cut here or something? What is this? This guy's got a waiting list. But I just, it was just like that. You're not new. You're, you've, never, you've never been here before. You're an outsider. Don't you, you know, don't you know you're supposed to call ahead? No, I didn't, actually. I might, maybe will next time because I want to check this out, but... He's really, he's, really that, he's really that backed up. Brother must know how to shave, so i got to go check it out. But is that what people get when they step into your missional community? And this isn't for, for the missional community leaders to make sure, you know, the missional community leaders are running around making sure everybody feels welcome. This is for all of us. We love one another. We love the outsider. We lay our life down for other people. That's what it's for. That's what we do. That's how love is missional. Listen. I want you to take a personal assessment right now. I want you to take a personal assessment of your life. Are you living a life right now that demands a gospel explanation? I have no doubt that every single one of you in this room that are part of a missional community, you've already, you're already involved probably more than you've ever been. Okay? Now listen, your past church involvement is not the standard. Thank God. The standard is right in front of you. The standard is what the church is really all about. Who the church, what has the church been created to be and what have they been created to do? So I know you're already coming on Sundays and you're already going on Wednesdays, but guys, that's not what it's about. Missional community is not one night of the week. You're a part of a family. It says, how do you encourage one another daily? You could do it through text message. You can do it through the city. You could do it through Facebook. But is your mind there? Are you thinking about other people in your family? Or is, you know, you only show up, and when you show up, you think about it, but every other time, everybody's on their own, and it's just this individual, vertical relationship with God, and it's not horizontal. Could your neighbors see your love for the saints? Or is your life built around you and built around your desires? Are you the captain of your soul? Are you the king or the queen of your ship? Do you set the pace? Do you get to determine what you do and what you don't do and when you serve and when you don't serve and when you love and when you don't love and who you love and who you're going to talk about? Do you get to do that? I want you to remember how Jesus loved his brothers this week from the story of God. On the night that he was betrayed, he washed their feet. He then broke bread and drank from the cup. Then he left that upper room and lived it out. His flesh was really broken and his blood was really spilled as he laid down his life for his brothers and for us. He didn't just say, here, we've got a new part of the new covenant. We're going to drink, we're going to drink this and eat this, and this is good. No, he lived, he left the room and lived it out. It was incarnational. When we break this bread and we drink this cup, we're not only celebrating what Christ has done, we're also communicating something to the world. Father, now break us, now spill us, now smash us, now use us for your mission in the world. Break us for our brothers and sisters. Let us lay our life down for our brothers and sisters. Let our blood, sweat, and tears be shed for those in our communities. That sacrifice that Jesus did, that substitutionary atonement, it defines our new life in Christ.
Faith in his work produces love for our brothers and sisters that must be lived out in sacrificial love. It must be. So I want you to, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to, I want you to take that. I want you to take a personal inventory right now. I want you to see where are you at. If, this, if a message like this brings you to despair and you don't understand the gospel, Jesus Christ has laid down his life. He was broken so that you could be brought in. He was crushed so that you could be saved. He did this so it could be your joy to follow him in service, follow him in suffering, follow him in laying down your life. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you communicate the love of the Father to us and you convict us of our selfishness and our sin, that every one of us have walked away from you and we seek our own desires, we seek our own comfort. Father, I would personally rather sit at home and watch a TV than call my brother up and hang out and and press in in the gospel and really challenge him and disciple each other. Father, I would rather sit at home and watch CrossFit on TV or watch a football game. I would personally rather do that, and I I repent of that, Father. I repent of seeking that idol of comfort in my own heart, in my own life. I repent of wanting to sometimes build a shelter around my home and not let other people in and just wanting to rest and relax. Father, I repent of that. You are my shelter. You are where I relax. You are my peace, not my home. I thank you for giving me a home that I can use for your kingdom and use to further your mission. I thank you for making me, you know, giving me a a strong back and and a strong work ethic and I don't need very much sleep and I can work hard. I thank you for giving me that disposition, Lord God, so I can serve you and I can lay my life down for you. I pray that every one of us in this room, that you would show us where we need to repent and you would show us where we need to have faith in the work that you've done on our behalf. Father, I know that I can't save anyone I know that I can work 100 hours a week and I won't save any more people, Father. I won't lead any more people to Christ than if I do what you've called me to do and work 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week, that I can't do those things, that you are the one that brings salvation. You are the one that convicts the heart. You are the one that does that work. Father, we put our trust in you tonight. Put our trust in the work you've done for us, that laying down our life is not about earning our salvation. It's a fruit Faith is primary, but fruit is necessary. We have faith in what you've done. This naturally occurs. We don't have to force it to happen. Father, I pray that you would convict the heart. Bring us to repentance tonight. Bring us to repentance. Build your church. Build this type of people in the Quad Cities. Father, thank you for your work. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your body and your blood. In Jesus' name.